Welcome to episode two of the flagship podcast right here at horns247.com. Hope uh, everyone's having a great week. I know it was a little tough. Um, in fact, Taylor, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Silence? Yeah. It's kind of like the uh, faith among Texas fans right now in this football team and this <laughs> coaching staff. And it happens after this game. I mean, this this game means so much to so many people and to this rivalry that when it goes the wrong direction, it's, ugh, the, I've had it. I'm done. The sky Fire is falling. Everybody. Yeah, the sky is falling. Texas fans after a loss to Oklahoma, I feel, are the first ones to take that nosedive off of the cliff and think that you know, nothing is right. Everybody should be fired. Everybody's job should be at risk. I mean, it's just kind of, and like, you know, that's, in my opinion, that's what makes college football so unique because there's such an intense type of um, you know, just emotion that, especially when you're dealing with rivals um, like Texas and Oklahoma, who've been rivals for, you know, a hundred years. I mean, that it's what makes college football great. And it's what sometimes makes our job terrible, <laughs> terrible. Cause you guys listen, the sky's not falling. It's okay. I mean, this is not, this is not a bad Oklahoma team. The losses that Texas have had this season. Yes, they're not great. And I am so not the moral victory type of person. Like I'm not the participation trophy type of person, but I will say that the two losses that Texas has, this season are two two top five teams in the country. They're not ranked top five for just fun. You know, this is these are legitimate right. teams. These are legitimate teams that have Heisman candidates running the the offense. I mean, look at the actual fact of the matter instead of looking at the stat sheet, which I've even seen a lot of reporters do. You know, they're all talking about total yards given up. Okay, cool. Guess what? It's the Big Twelve. When when you face these type of offenses, you're going to give up yards. What you need to not give up are points. And that's something that Texas, you know, yes, they did give up you know, 34 points to Oklahoma. But Oklahoma was averaging, what was it, 53 points going into that game? That's, right. you know, when you're dealing with a banged up defense, when you're dealing with a lot of inexperience at key positions, especially in the secondary, that's a positive takeaway is – they held Oklahoma to not just, you know, one score below what they had been averaging, 19 points. They held them to 19 points fewer than what they were averaging the year. So, you know, the offense definitely did not do much to help Texas in this game, though, either. And I think that that's probably something that not too many people are focusing on. I feel like everybody's focus is on the defense right now. But let's look at the offense and what it did not do against Oklahoma. Right, right. I agree. I mean, I to me, that is the biggest complaint I have coming out of the Red River shootout the the offense which has been carrying this program for two years uh, because last year the defense took a step back we know that Ellinger got better and better as the year went on Tom Herman calling the plays it was it it was fantastic right and it to me it was progressing 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 and then it hits this record scratch and of all places on the offensive line, mm -hmm. they just looked lost. They looked like they were struggling to get oxygen and, and credit Alex Grinch. he had a, a really nice game plan. He was looping Kenneth Murray uh, from one end of the line all the way to the backside, just like uh, LSU did with Caleb on Chason. 
They they watched the film. Right. And and look, the, there were some really rough moments for that Texas offensive line in that game that they're going to have to look in the mirror and say, okay, man, I guess we took them too lightly. We we didn't prepare the way we should have. We weren't the team that was playing like it had an uh, you know a stick up its backside the way that Oklahoma was. Right. And and they got embarrassed. Nine sacks. Yeah. Nine sacks. I mean, the only times in Texas football history that Texas has given up nine sacks were to Indomitian Sioux mm. and Nebraska in the Big Twelve title game in two thousand nine, and to the Miami Hurricanes who beat the breaks off of Texas in the 1991 Cotton Bowl. Right. That OU defense is not on par with those two teams. No, no, not at all. So Yeah, and I, I will I'll admit something. You know, I, I last week on the podcast was talking about, you know, who has Oklahoma played? And, you know, everybody's talking about this defense being so much better, but, you know, who have they played? And I was totally wrong. I mean, this is a much, much better um, defense that you have seen from Oklahoma in probably what decades, maybe not, maybe not decades, but you know, I think that, you know, I, I was Brent Venables got fired. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that I was probably overly critical or I guess questioning the Oklahoma defense and, you know, credit, like you said, credit to Alex Grinch, because I thought that they had an excellent game plan set for Texas and the offensive line, has been something that has been such a positive for Texas this season. And I, you know, I was kind of critical of that going into the year because I didn't know how well they would be able to replace the experience loss from last year's unit. But, you know, they had done a positive job at that until the nine sacks. And it was, it was just like, you know, when you do the two, it's like two steps forward, the offensive line has continued to take. And this almost was like nine steps back, I guess you could say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's one of those situations. I think that uh, you know they've got to look in the mirror. Sam Ellinger had a rough day. I mean, mm-hmm. and receivers were dropping passes. They were not helping their quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sam Ellinger, he, he he would look like he was a freshman again. I mean, he was feeling the the heat, the footsteps. I don't blame him. He got hit twenty times. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I was looking at him in the post game, going, I wanted to like. Are you okay? You yeah. know, like, <laughs> like are, are flashlight up in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he got he got beat up in that game. He's so tough, and I think that he's the reason that I think they'll come out of this okay. But that was hard to watch, and and I get it, Texas fans. You can nitpick every bit of that game. Special teams, uh, Devin Duvernay, poor guy, trying to make a play, made terrible decisions. Mm-hmm about when to run the ball out of the end zone, what, why, whether to field it when it's going out of bounds, dropping a fair catch. I mean, that poor guy. And then Texas fans cheer him when he takes a knee on a kick return in the fourth quarter. I mean, that was, that was tough. So you can nitpick every single aspect of this, you know, offense, defense, special teams. But, hey, it's time to go forward, Taylor. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, this is, you know, it's it's a loss and losses, they suck. You know, I mean, nobody <laughs> wants to be a loser. Let's be honest. Like anybody who's ever played any type of competition in their life doesn't want to lose. And if you, you know, it's kind of like 
the old saying is like, you show me a good loser and I'll show you who the loser is because <laughs> nobody's a good loser, you know, <laughs> like, let's just be honest about it. And if you are, you probably have never played any quality type of level of um, athletics in your entire life if you're okay with losing. So, um, but, you know, looking ahead, I think how we were talking about in the open, you know, the sky is not falling, the sky is not falling, excuse me. Um, but, you know, one thing I will say is this next team that Texas is facing, you can't really overlook right now. I mean, while like the final score didn't end up that way, but, you know, OU stayed in the game or uh, Kansas stayed in the game against Oklahoma to start, you know, and so this is uh, going to be a new team that they're going to face uh, led by Les Miles, who, by the way, let's let's talk about this. So I was so excited at Big 12 Media Days to kind of hear Les. Yeah. And I felt like he was so PC, you know, I was like, where, where is the Mad Hatter? I want to know, I want to see the grass eating Mad Hatter, not this, uh, you know, stick to the company line type of coach talking. And so right. I'm hoping right. that we, we see more of that soon. We need the zany Les Miles. Exactly. Not the, I'm, uh, I'm playing it safe, Les Miles. The, yeah. the, the, none of that. No, yeah. we don't need any of that. We already have too much of that in this uh, profession. Let's see the the Mad Hatter at his work. That's right. He's got the <laughs> national championship ring. He can he can say and do whatever he wants, you know? Oh, yeah. He was wearing that, too. Remember? He was wearing oh, yeah. that ring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big 12 media. He got asked about, hey, how often do you wear your LSU national championship ring? Well, you know, I just I wear it so recruits can see it. And uh, Yeah, he should. He should. I mean, with, you know, my dad's World Series ring, he never used to um, wear that very often growing up. And it wasn't until I think it was like one of his – his uh, like clients had said asked him about it, like, why don't you ever wear your World Series ring? And he was like, well, I don't want it to seem like I'm bragging. And the guy's like, well, you th- have to think that there's a lot of people in this world that would love to see a World Series ring in person and never will have the opportunity to. And so my dad wears it all the time now because he was like, well, huh, I never thought of that. <laughs> and it's the 50th anniversary, right? It of is. your dad's World Series championship with the Miracle Mets? It is today. Like this, so we are recording on Wednesday, and that is, uh, that is the day today. October 16th, 1969 was when the Mets surprised the world and won the World Series against the mighty Baltimore, Baltimore Orioles. So, yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. It was really cool because I got to go celebrate the 50 year with um, the players who are still around back in June and my whole family got to go, which was really cool just to be able to be at City Field with my brothers and my mom and the, you know, family suite, the four of us were up there and it was just such a special moment because we've never been able to do that. Um, all of us together. It's always been me, usually the only one that's tagged along, but my brothers were able to come this time and it was just really cool. My mom was like so happy that we were able to sit there in the suite while um, we watched um, our dad get honored on the field. So yeah. So well, and it, your brother, your mm-hmm. your brother Cade was a, a draft pick of my Detroit Tigers. Yes, he was. He was so the first rounder. There. You have a an incredible uh, sports family, and and that is great that they they got to see your dad in in his glory. And and I'll say this because I think this is the coolest thing ever. Um, your dad Rod Gaspar scored the game winning run in Game Four of that World Series. Yes. He absolutely did. And what's something that's interesting that I don't think a lot of people realized is, so he scored, he went in as a pinch runner. Um, my dad was one of the fastest guys, I think, if not the fastest guy on the team. So he went in as a pinch runner and it was a bunt and he was on second. So he scored on a bunt from second. So it kind of showed his speed that he did have and his you know, recognition 
of uh, kind of of the game. But he, you'll, you know, you'll talk to him and he'll say that he didn't even look at the third base coach because he was so like he was so like in the zone to score. And he's like, I probably should have looked because he was telling me to go, but I didn't know if he was. And he's like, all I saw was the ball rolling. I was like, well, if the ball's on the ground, I'm going to make the, I'm going to score the run. It's not going to matter. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's pretty cool. And um, you know, some of those stories from some of those old timers, they're the best. I mean, it's just, it's such a different ball game back then. And it's kind of funny because I feel like anytime I've watched baseball with my dad, it's been so much about you know, today's game, he just can't stand it. He thinks that, you know, guys don't play for the love of the game. They play for the money. And back in the day, you know, they were making money, but not good money like they do now. And, uh, and at first I just always thought like, oh, it's just like old dad here, just like, you know, nagging and harping on the way the the game is played. Then you're around all these old timers and they all are talking that way. It's like, okay, so it's not just him. It's how they all feel about it. So, but it still is a really cool thing. Yeah, he was a rookie. Your dad was a rookie on that Mets team with Nolan Ryan. Yes, Nolan Ryan and uh, Tom Seaver, both, uh, I think, both of their only World Series wins, I believe. So, yep. yeah. So, yep. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, happy anniversary. Tell your dad happy anniversary. I will. I'll send him this podcast, too. And, you know, he loves talking about football. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but, so, but no, I'll, I'll definitely pass that along to him. Is he cheering for the Astros? Uh, yeah, I think he'll always cheer for, um, Nolan. Nolan. Yes. You know, he, he absolutely adores Nolan. He just thinks that he's so great for the game of baseball. Um, and you know, every place that he's been in type of a management role, the teams have gone on to at least play for a world series happened when he was with the Rangers now with the Astros. And, um, yeah, like the, I mean the Ryan family in general, Reed Ryan's an amazing guy too, you know, just, the Ryans are just the salt of the earth type of people. So, you know, anytime we, our family has a chance to support them, we absolutely always will. Yeah, that's great stuff. I, I was lucky enough to go to the Astros game on Sunday when Verlander pitched and, and Carlos Correa hit the, the walk-off home run in the bottom of the 11th. And, and Nolan Ryan sits right behind home plate. He never moves. Nope. Arms folded, same expression on his face. Doesn't matter if a guy just hit a home run or just struck out. It's that same. You're not. You're not getting any read off of my face. No, absolutely. That he had as a pitcher. Yeah, you know it's funny because one time I um, when I worked in radio back in the day, they had me uh, go into a meeting. Uh, I think it was over the Round Rock Express contract or something. I can't remember exactly. And that's how Nolan sat in the meeting the entire time. I mean, it was the most intimidating. And I know him, you know, so it's like the most intimidating man. He's this monster. I mean, he's like, what, like 6'3", 6'4"? I mean, he's a big guy. And that's exactly how he sat in the meeting, sitting behind a desk with his arms folded. And you're like, oh, "Oh my gosh, yeah, Mr. Ryan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's funny. Is he going to put me in a headlock? Yeah. It's like, don't say the wrong thing. Don't say the wrong thing. <laughs> no, but yeah, so Ghost Rose. I'm rooting for them. Ghost Rose. <laughs> All right, Chip. So let's go to Bobby Burton. What do you think about that? We'll bring in uh, the man, the myth, and the legend, uh, publisher of Horns 24-7, Bobby Burton, next. Joining us now here on the flagship podcast, he is the godfather of... Uh, of horns 24 seven and really, you know, the whole team site, uh, business, you know, cause he started rivals.com with Shannon Terry, uh, the one and only Bobby Burton, Bobby, how are you doing? 
Good, Chip. Uh, a little bit better than the Longhorns. Ay, ay, caramba. <laughs> then they well, were let's get right into it, my friend. We've got, <laughs> we've got some autopsy to get over here, right? Yeah, yeah. we got to inspect the dead because they played it a little bit <laughs> on Saturday at times, especially on defense. Uh, what, what do you think the fallout is, Chip, uh, from this game? I mean, looking at it, you were there in, in the, in the post-game. What was your feeling? Well, I, I, it's funny you say defense because I feel like the offense was the side that just totally let Texas down. That's the side with Tom Herman and Sam Ellinger and, and healthy players. I mean, I, I get it. Keontae Ingram's got to get out of his own head, but Rashawn Johnson certainly stepped up and came through, but they didn't, they didn't commit to the running game. They didn't commit to much of anything offensively and they just let Oklahoma dictate the the whole game. So to me, that was the the biggest wake up call, I think, for Tom Herman, for Sam Ellinger, for that offensive line that was running its mouth. Sam Cosme, um, in particular, I'll just narrow it down to the guy who was doing the talking last week, um, because Sam Cosme was saying that look, nothing special. We'll see what if they're for real. They haven't played anyone like us, and then all of a sudden Oklahoma goes out and just dictates uh, from a defensive standpoint. And I don't know. We've seen this before, Bobby. In 2013, I think Oklahoma was expecting Texas to be holding a funeral for Mac Brown. And there were enough veteran players on that team, seniors, Case McCoy, Quandre Diggs, others, who decided they'd had enough. And they just went out and punched Oklahoma in the face. And Oklahoma couldn't recover. And so you had an upset like we saw this past Saturday in the Cotton Bowl. But, um, I mean, I think that there there's some egg on the face of those players on offense. I think on Tom Herman and, and on Sam Ellinger. Ellinger, that was the worst game he's played since his freshman year. He was holding the ball too long. He's making some, you know, tough decisions. But, um, you know, it, it, I do think that it, it's stuff that's fixable. Um, and and they added to the injury list on the defensive side, which is has got to be a concern. What what did you think, Bobby? Oh, I I, I agree with you that first of all, the the problem I had on offense was the lack of anybody to get open other than Devin Duvernay and Colin Johnson. I mean, it was Brendan Eagles made dropped a pass, sure, but I mean, Malcolm Epps was I mean tightly covered most of the day, didn't really present a, an easy target can't and not a great route runner i didn't like the running backs at all and of course nine sacks is a kind of speaks for itself um i think it's time for texas to try jared wiley in the run game as a tight end because i actually think he moves people as opposed to Cade brewer who more just gets in the way of people i think actually jared wiley can actually move uh and collapse some size and create bigger runs in, in the run game. Um, but I, I still, even as bad as the offense played, Chip, the defense did come away with some turnovers and kept the game close. But then when the game mattered, Chip, um, you know, Texas down by one score and kicks the ball into the end zone. Defense comes out and two, two or three running plays later, after getting the ball on the OU 25, OU's within – inside the Texas 10 on two or three running plays, not spectacularly difficult running plays either. 
I mean, Texas absolutely cratered in the fourth quarter on defense when it mattered. Then they get the ball. Then the, then the and then obviously OU goes in for the score. And then Texas kicks the onside kick after scoring again. And it doesn't even take two plays to get a first down, both on runs. I, and and I, I know they were down Chris Brown at that point and Jeffrey are, McCulloch. Okay, Chris Brown has had problems tackling in the open field all season, other than one or two plays that have been highlight reels. He he's been their you know, best player through. I mean, he 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 had he had a couple shoulder tackles against you know Oak State and West Virginia, but up to that point, he'd been their arguably their best player outside okay. of Osai. Okay, I think outside of Osai, you might be right, but I don't necessarily agree that. He was nece- wasn't necessarily put into situations that were difficult for him in open fields, other than against LSU, uh, up until that point. So, I'm not a I'm I still think that playing Br- Chris Brown and Brandon Jones close to the line of scrimmage is borderline ridiculous, given that you have B.J. Foster and Montrell Estelle, who physically can play closer to the line of scrimmage yet you drop them 25 yards off the ball so i'll go with you on that i am not a i'm not a fan of putting short-armed defensive backs not named quandre Diggs, into the box (laughs) um so that's just a that's just a bottom line i mean i think you have to be a superlative athlete neither of which brandon jones or chris brown are um and and uh have a, a mentality of, of getting guys to the ground again, which I, I think both of them, they just don't, they don't have that. Um, so anyways, I, I think we've both made our point. I mean, there's a lot. The, the, and the point is there was a lot of crap that we saw. Saturday. Yeah. I mean, Malcolm Roach wasn't in the game in the, in the final eight forty eight because he took the cheese and, and lowered his helmet into C.D. Lamb, and when was the last time you saw a 6'2", 200-pound stud athlete give himself up, a skilled player, give himself up in the middle of the field? Especially yeah. a guy who'd broken tackle after tackle in that game. But, but here's the other thing. This isn't the first rodeo for Malcolm Roach either. I mean, he, he's been called for that play before. Or actually, it's went to the review before, before they pulled it off. I mean, so I, I'm... I hear you. I also think that Malcolm Roach is a senior that didn't learn. So I, I think that, that you can look at it both ways. And I would personally, I would tend to think that Malcolm Roach needs, needs to do a better job because that's, that's how the game's played. So look, I'm not happy with um, the performance from the perspective of uh, a Texas uh, fan in that game. You just can't be. Um, it was ugly on, on both sides of the ball. And, uh, I agree with you that the offense chip left a lot to be desired. I I don't see how you couldn't come away from that fourth quarter and watch an OU run the ball down Texas throats and not also be disappointed in the defense. Yeah, they were, they were just a disheveled mess by the end. You know, going into that then chip, what, and you met with those some of the guys this week. What is the mood of the team right now? Well, I think on offense, it's quiet determination, resolution, 
we we that was embarrassing. And I think that the defensive players are embarrassed about the 20 missed tackles. But I think there's also some concern with the added injury report and not to overcook it, but Malcolm Roach will miss the first half of the Kansas game. That means they're down six starters on, on defense with Chris Brown, Jeffrey McCulloch being added to the injury report with Josh Thompson, um, Jalen Green and Caden Stearns. Um, So it's, you know, I think there's some concern there and at what point are they, you know, everyone wants more sacks. Well, the guy to do it is is on the field. It's it's Joseph Osai. Are the, is Todd Orlando going to commit him uh, as a stand-up defensive end to rush the passer, or is he going to keep using the kid's freak athletic ability to drop him into coverage and move him all over the field, which he can do. It's an unbelievable amount of responsibility for Joseph Osai, but he's a super smart kid and and off again off the charts athletic, but. If you're determined to put pressure on the quarterback, then Joseph Osai is the guy. So I think, you know, the fallout is what what do you want, Todd Orlando? Because he and, and as much as we knock the defense, the two red zone turnovers, they've been turning people over. They've turned they forced eight turnovers the last three games. Five of them led to short field touchdowns for the offense. And the offense was struggling against West Virginia until Delia Dayaway came up with a short field interception for the offense. So they did their job. I mean, Todd Orlando could say to us, okay, we're turning people over. We gave them, we gave up 10 points in the first half. We gave up 14 points below their average. We did our job. It was ugly. We messed up. We made mistakes all over the place. But I mean, can't you do both? Can can you commit Joseph Osai to rushing the passer and and let his athletic ability dominate. I I was surprised we didn't see more of that, Bobby. I, I think Joseph Osai could have really made things different for Jalen Hurts because his speed is such that, I mean, he's a hard guy to get away from. Well, I mean, I, I, to be honest, Chip, I mean, you think about it. I mean, Joe Osai actually had Hurts for a sack. Hurts puts the ball behind his back and still right. completes the pass, sets up a, a short fourth down that Jawan Mitchell actually uh, disrupts the pass or bats it down. So nothing bad came of it. But I, I, I can see your point about Osai. I got to be honest, though, watching Brandon Jones blitz is like, it, it's like, why? Because he gets picked up by running backs and thrown aside. They've got to get B.J. Foster in and closer to the line of scrimmage. He makes a difference. Um, and I think that just going back to what we said earlier, I think that's an issue. So if it's quiet resolve on offense, do you think that you, you really think that that's legitimate or I do because Sam Cosme didn't even show up. You know, I don't know. I, I didn't, he, he was, a, he's been coming to the player interviews on Tuesday and we got a very, <laughs> we got a limited number of players, not surprising yesterday. We got, um, we got Sam Ellinger. We got Zach Shackelford. They're both captains. We got Joseph Osai. We got Keandre Coburn. And, and so, you know, it would in Brandon Jones, but that's the sense that I got that the offense is, is embarrassed and determined to, 
get things right. And that the defense is, you know, they're, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're concerned that they're down a couple more guys, but they, they know they've got to, they've got to pick each other up. I mean, it sounds like Jawan Mitchell's going to play with a dislocated elbow and BJ Foster's not right. I mean, he got the stinger against West Virginia. He aggravated against OU. He wasn't his normal, you know, contact seeking self against OU. He was, he was kind of watching at times and hoping his teammates would get guys to the ground and they didn't on the CD lamb, you know, the first 51 yard touchdown. I mean, Foster's right there to make the play. He's just kind of trailing it the whole way. So that's not the guy we're used to seeing, but I think he lit himself up in the West Virginia game and it's going to take a little time for that stinger to, to get right. Yeah. That, that play look, they look like the damn Keystone cops. <laughs> I mean, it was ugly. Um, you know, taking this a step for forward, I guess, and, and trying to put Oklahoma in the rearview mirror chip and, and talking about the mood of resolve. What do you think the keys are for the rest of the season for Texas? Well, I think they do have good player leadership. Um, obviously, they kind of lost their mind uh, going into the OU game with the way, like the way that Cosme was talking and, uh, and even BJ Foster, I mean, saying that Jalen Hurts, he's not dumb. He's going to slide uh, or it's not going to be good for him. And, and Jalen Hurts ran all over the place. So I think they, they got a wake up call. I think their coaches talked to him about it and, and said, okay, you just, you, you wrote some checks with your mouth that your, your bodies didn't cash. So it's time to get back to work and, and I think they do believe that their goals are ahead of them. They they had a really tough stretch last year where everything was going their direction. They beat no you. They had a bye week. They come back. They, they get ambushed in Stillwater. And then they lose a game where they led the entire second half uh, and lose it in the final um, seconds against West Virginia. So I think they know that uh, the, there's some really – Big minefields coming up at TCU, at Iowa State, at Baylor. Although Baylor uh, losing their their stud linebacker uh, possibly for the season is is a real game changer for Baylor. But nonetheless, they know there's minefields out there. And I think Sam Ellinger, what he said to the team after the game where he said, we're about to find out who's in it to win it and who's just going to show up and put the uniform on on Saturdays. It resonated. It resonated with the players because they said it after the game, and and I do think that their their resolve is is unified in that they they can still get to the Big Twelve championship game. So you think the key is to just refocus like a laser on the on the rest of the season and try to try to get to that Big Twelve championship game? Yeah, I do. I mean, what what do you think? We've kind of. We're we're watching this team try to evolve into a player-led team. What what do you think? Uh, I uh, yeah, I, I've got a couple things. One is I, I think that Texas in the last two games has played on offense. If you want to talk offense first, they played behind the chains way too much. Texas is not a third and ten, third and fifteen team. Now they've completed a bunch of them because Ellinger is having a good year, but they they're completing more of those earlier in the game and not later as a team gets used to it. 
So Texas on offense has to start playing in front of the chains and not behind them. And that means that the running game has to be more successful. And that's why I was mentioning Jared Wiley. I, I just think that Texas needs to get into third and three, third and four, not third and ten. Um, and that, that sounds simple, but I do think it's a key. I mean, the, this offense is not super, super talented. They have talent, but it's not otherworldly stuff. You know, they don't have as good as DuVernay is and Colin Johnson. They're not C.D. Lamb. I mean, C.D. Lamb could get open in a phone booth. So I, I think that that my point is they've got to play more ball control and stop looking for the big, big payday on a more regular basis. And that will, in turn, give their defense a, a, a better opportunity of playing it out. And on defense, I think you have to. I think personally, you have to get BJ Foster closer to the line of scrimmage. I think you have to create a pass rush somehow. And I also think it's time to really look at what is Adelia Dayaway doing on the field if he can't get to the outside on stretch plays because he's not the quickest. And so, does that mean you drop him and, and go with just uh, Mitchell and Osai? You bring another safety up if Overshone comes up uh, and gets healthy finally. I think those are the things that that have to happen. But getting getting negative plays has to be a part of it, and that has to be that that has to stem from the pass rush and getting after the passer more frequently. Yeah, and I I think Sam, um, you know, he committed the running back to protection a lot against Oklahoma because of the problems they were having up front, and that took a checkdown out of the mix and. And so that was one of the things I think Tom Herman was alluding to this week and that when he talked about sacks aren't just the offensive line, it's setting the correct protections and and running backs and receivers getting open and all of that. But we saw a few times where Ellinger had time in the pocket, but he they were running verticals and he had no underneath route, no check down. And they got to get that cleaned up because every quarterback will tell you your best friend is the check down. I mean, Major Applewhite lived off the check down. And, and that's something that Texas is desperately going to need going forward. And, and here's, my, here's my take on the tight end position. Kate Brewer can make contested catches. This is the, I don't understand why they're not throwing it to him more because Brennan Eagles can't make a contested catch. Malcolm Epps is he can't catch anything that's meaningful. I mean, he had a he had a chance to make a great catch against Oklahoma State on a corner route uh, at the goal line and it went right through his hands. So, I mean, you got to have guys who can make contested catches. We know Duvernay can do it. We know Colin can do it. And why aren't they throwing it to Cade Brewer? Because if you're not throwing it to Cade Brewer, then I agree with you, Bobby. Uh, that you know, Wiley's looks like a tackle at six seven. So he can he better be able to block because he's he's certainly got the body of of it. And but Kate Brewer, my goodness, this I thought this guy was going to be used like David Thomas this year, and it's not happening. Yeah, I think part of that comes from from uh, and, and I I want to say that that you made a great point with the setting the protection. I, I thought I thought. Ellinger's best play of the game actually was the our most impressive play was the toss to the flank 
uh, where he's approaching the line of scrimmage on a scramble and got it out to Rashawn Johnson. On third and eight, yeah. Yeah, made a huge play in the game, kept Texas involved in, in it, uh, and, and went forward as it relates to Cade Brewer. I don't, I wonder, even if Cade Brewer can make contested catches, I don't think he can get open like David Thomas could get open. And so I think the comparison there um, falls somewhat short. But only I disagree because- on that. I, he's open a lot, and I don't know what's going on. I mean, they, they let him – he drifts underneath. And Sam, I think, still looks down the field. I mean, I think he he's still got to mature that way that – you know, he got in trouble against West Virginia by throwing a deep ball into the wind that ended up being underthrown when he had, I think, Rashawn Johnson wide open as a check down. So he's got to mature in that direction. If we're talking about season, you know, keys for the season, that would be another thing I would say uh, going forward is that Sam's got to just he's got to fall in love with the check down. Gotcha. Let's talk about keys for this week. We've talked about the season, but. Uh, this week, if Texas doesn't pay attention, they're going to get beat. And I, and I know that sounds weird with Kansas on the docket, but the reality of it is Puka Williams is as good or better than anybody Texas will see this year from a 0-60 to 60 standpoint. I mean, the guy is electric in the backfield. Their quarterback is coming off of a, a, a better showing – I think they've got some skill pieces on offense and on defense. They gave Oklahoma some problems in the first half um, two weeks ago. I think they have some kids. So, uh, you know, keys for this week for me, Chip, get after the the, the running back, stop the run, make um, Kansas one-dimensional, and then, if at all possible, establish a running game short passing game on offense for texas that allows them to play in front of the chains and then over the course of the game you wear a somewhat um depleted uh athletically uh uh, team in kansas that allows you to be uh being a lot of third and shorts and still maintain drives what about you where you're i'm right there with you and when you when you look at the fact that Kansas is the worst uh, rush defense in the Big 12, giving up 220 yards per game on the ground, this is a 50 carry a game um, running uh, attack for Texas. I mean, they they should absolutely have 50 rushes in this game and and be able to run for at least 220 yards. So I agree with you. This is a challenge their manhood. You're going to out. Okay. You got out physical by Oklahoma. You're going to get out physical by Kansas because Kansas is playing hard. You're, you're right. I mean, Les Miles gets guys to believe they can, they can chew glass and, and spit it out and they're playing hard. They're playing physical and they definitely can eat grass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a less mile special. <laughs> right. He, he, he'll serve it up for him in a buffet. But, you know, and then defensively, absolutely stop the run. Tom Herman told us after four games, what, when asked, what do you know about your team? I know we can stop the run. Okay, well, it took a break last week. Let's see it 
against Puka Williams because you're coming off a game with 20 missed tackles, and Puka Williams is the king of missed tackles. I mean, he makes guys look silly. So I'm right there with you. I think we can talk about other things, and you know, guys need to make catches and contested catches and this kind of thing. But to set this Texas team on the course to get to the Big 12 championship, it's got to start right there. They've got to run the ball and stop the run this week. You're at home. You're coming back home for the first time in about a month. And set that as, as you know, goal number one and goal number two and get after this Kansas team and, and you know, get, get your confidence back. Get your swagger back. Bobby, great stuff as always, my friend. I always yep. enjoy the conversation. That chip it is. And uh, the horns uh, have to bring it this week or else it's going to – it could get ugly in Austin. Uh, I look for Sam Ellinger to be the leader. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. Good stuff, Bobby. We'll do it again next week. All right. Take care, man. Joined now by uh, former Kansas coach, former uh, Texas A&M recruiting uh, guru, uh, David Beatty. Coach, how you doing? Man, I'm good, Chip. Uh, Taylor, thanks for having me on today. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. It's good to, it's good to talk to you. Um, you know, we'll just, we'll talk a little, uh, little, little football, get your impressions of what's going on in the, in the Big 12. Let's start there. Anything surprise you about uh, what's happened in the Big 12 so far? Man, I'll tell you what. I mean, you knew there were going to be some surprises. There's no doubt. Um, I mean, every year there is. But um, I, I think the first thing that sticks out to me is the quality of, of, uh, of teams top to bottom. I think that it's a very strong, strong league this year. Uh, I'm not sure that a lot of people thought it was going to be that strong, but I think it's very competitive top to bottom. And um, I'm not sure that many people expected that. And, uh, I mean, there's several things that stick out to me. Number one, Jalen Hurts. Uh, I mean, I've got one word for him. It's wow. Uh, and, and for a lot of reasons, number one, it's extremely difficult to do what he's doing. Like, I know he's a great player and to, to maybe just the average fan, that's kind of where it ends. But the truth is so much further from that. Um, to be able to change systems is very much like learning a new language. It's like shifting from English to Spanish. And it just takes time. Quite honestly, it's what keeps people off the field more than athletic ability. It's actually the thing that keeps people off the field. And for a guy to be at another university where, uh, you know, brown shoe is called tomato there. I mean, it, it really is, is kind of that. It's, it's kind of that unique. For a guy to be able to come in and do what he's doing and to be able to do it at, at the level he's doing it at, I think it's a tribute to him, who he is as a kid, and I knew that recruiting him back in the day when he was at Channel View, and his dad's a coach, which we try to get as many of those kids as we can, and and you know a tribute obviously to Lincoln and his staff and what they do with him. But he's he's one that sticks out to me, and I'm not sure many people would count that as a surprise. But the level he's playing at, he hasn't been there. I mean, he just got there, so learning that language that quick is in, is incredible. Uh, I think another thing that sticks out to me, I think a lot of people would probably agree, is is Baylor being un, undefeated. It's not quite as much a surprise to me as it is maybe to some others, but uh, watching his defense play this year, wow! I mean, that, they have they've really stepped up and become one of the better units on the on the defensive side in the Big Twelve, which has been very impressive to watch. But uh, and then finding a way to win games late, I mean that that's something that's a process, right? And I mean Matt has done an unbelievable job in Waco, and I just can't say enough good things about that guy. He's got those guys believing. 
Uh, he's got a really stingy defense. Uh, Blake Lynch is playing his rear end off. I mean, he gave me nightmares last year trying to figure out how we were going to block this cat. Uh, you know, I mean, we they've got really good, talented players on that defensive side of the ball. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about them offensively because of Brewer, but they're pretty good on that defensive side, and, and they really needed that to be able to kind of be where they're at this year. And uh, Denzel Mims, I said a long time ago, I thought he was one of the better receivers, better players in our league and underrated guy because there's so many great players playing great again. Uh, I went to high school with his dad. His dad's Charlie Lee, and he was a terrific player. Uh, when I played with him, and I had no idea that was his son. And, uh, man, just a terrific player. Uh, and they've got a bunch of them over there. They've done that, that little running back, my word, that dude. I mean, he's been doing that for three years. It feels feels like they're not graduating guys there. Maybe they need to look into Matt Rule and see if they <laughs> – what's going on there. But uh, those guys have been there for a while. They played a lot of ball. Uh, another thing that sticks out to me, Chip and, and Taylor, and I don't know about it if it is for you, but how incredible is it for an unselfish – Roshan Johnson to be doing what he is doing at the level he's doing it at Texas. What Tom has done with guys that go down and the next man up mantra that they carried at Ohio State and the places that he's been at, this kid, people do not understand how difficult it is to never play the position in a collegiate game and understand how to pick up blitzes and understand how to def- identify, identify defenses and it, this the protection part of it is so difficult, and I've, I've really honed in and watched him on that. He's so good at that. I think that's a tribute to him being in the quarterback room for so long. But, man, just unselfish and the guys learning how to become a, a, a running back day by day. I mean, that that run in the third quarter that got it down there, and I think he took it in and it tied it up 10-10, that was a terrific run. And, I mean, what a great story. I mean, I think that guy's a great, great surprise Carter Stanley, I mean, the quarterback at KU, I think he's third in the Big 12 in TD passes. I'm not sure many people would have put him up there. It led him to a huge blowout win at Boston College that I don't think anybody gave him a chance going into that. And yeah. uh, he's a competitor now. I mean, that that's going to be an interesting cat to watch this weekend as they come to Austin. So uh, I know him personally, you know, uh, being from Florida, I mean, just a great kid, and he's taking, taking advantage of his opportunity. Uh, you know, a couple other things that stick out, you know, that are kind of surprises, Matt Wells, I don't think you want to play them right now. I mean, a lot of people, they're kind of, you know, it's kind of one of those rebuild years. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go and play Matt Wells and those guys right now, man. What a great coach, done a great job there. Those guys are buying in, and they are a dangerous team. They really are. Offensively, producing at a high level. Uh, and then, you know, Chris Kleinman. I mean, listen, <laughs> you can tell why that guy won so many championships. They're going to be really, really good in the future. Um, so those things stick out to me. Well, and those are those are those are a couple of teams, two three teams you mentioned right there that Texas still has to play. Let's go back to the Red River Shootout for a second because you mentioned Roshan Johnson and that fifty-seven yard run, which I agree with you. He he showed great vision there because he he was in traffic and then he found his way out of traffic and 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 busted that thing open and and set up that that touchdown run uh, by by him on the next play and and it did it tied it up ten ten and. Um, you know, what did you think of that that game, David? Because, you know, Texas fans, we'll get to this in a second. Texas fans feel like Texas wasn't prepared, didn't play well. And yet it was a one possession game. Um, you know, your thoughts on on the Red River shootout? Well, I mean, I understand the expectations and, and I certainly get that. But I live in, a, in the reality portion of it. So 
uh, I mean, I, I get I get to have a unique perspective. And, and the first thing that sticks out to me is what a game. I mean, the one good thing about not having a coach in it is getting to enjoy something like that. And I mean, what an unbelievable game. Um, you know, things that stick out to me, uh, you know, it was a defensive struggle, you know, through the better part of three quarters. And then the majority of the scoring, you know, took place from the end of the third through the fourth. And uh, those defenses both played really, really well. I, I thought coming up with the turnover down in the red zone down there versus versus Oklahoma uh, early in the in that in that first half was a, a huge play. And I mean, I, you credit Tartarlando and what he did to create pressure on those guys because they do a really good job of protecting that guy, and he does a great job of of being able to kind of create on his own. And uh, you know, he made a mistake. You know, you get outside those hashes, man. Nothing ever, nothing good happens throwing that ball back inside. It just, it is what it is. But you know, you've still got to be there to take advantage of it. And I thought those guys did a terrific job in the back end. Uh, I think the thing that sticks out to me, you know, also is that the things in that game that 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 really turned it for Texas, uh, they can be fixed. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to a couple of guys that 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 made extraordinary plays and. C.D. Lamb, man, you got to take your hat off to him. I mean, that guy has turned into a confident, more than anything, confident, because I watched him play right in front of me two years ago when he wasn't as experienced, which is the one thing you can't give him, uh, and playing kind of in the shadow of the other guys that were that were there. Uh, but now, man, I mean, this guy's got so much confidence, and you got to tackle him. Those, those are the guys that scare you, the guys that run after catch. The Devin DuVernay's of the world, you know, that's the other thing that sticks out to me about Big 12. I don't know that anybody saw Devin DuVernay being the leading receiver in the Big 12 at this point. And I'm not totally sure that's correct, but I know I know he's got to be up there somewhere pretty high. I think he's got 68 catches or something. Uh, and just been productive as all get out. I mean, what a great move by those guys. And, um, you know, the things that I, I saw that turn that game late, they can be fixed. It's just tackling. It's things that come down to fundamentals. Uh, I disagree totally with with not being prepared. I don't believe that, not for one bit. I, I mean, those guys on the other side, uh, they're they're working hard too, right? The guys are making plays. Uh, I thought Gallimore played his rear end off the other day. That dude yeah. was hard to defend. Hey, hey, listen, Alex Grinch. I mean, listen, that, that he took over a defense that was really young, um, and and he he kind of comes from the Dave Steckel tree, who by the way is one of the toughest guys I've ever had to coach against, and. I mean, a lot of what he does kind of reminds me. I think he kind of tut, cut his teeth with Steck and has kind of made his own name from there. But uh, the guy does a really, really good job of mixing things up. I thought they played a lot a lot more aggressive than they had in previous games, even from the previous week. Um, but uh, as far as the game goes, a guy that didn't have a, a horse in the race, what a game. I mean, what a game. It was unbelievable all the way to the very end. Yeah, and I, I felt like the Texas offensive line, like if I was going to do my critique, I would look first at, at the strongest parts of the Texas team, the, the, the areas I thought that, okay, I think, the, I think Texas has an advantage here. And I would say the Texas offensive line and Sam Ellinger. And, you know, with Tom Herman Collin plays, Sam Ellinger and that offensive line, I figured – there's no way I figured there'd be nine sacks and 15 tackles for loss. What, you know, Grinch was obviously running a lot of stunts and loops and twists. Um, you know, what did you see in terms of Oklahoma's ability to get to Sam Ellinger? Well, I think, you know, you hit it on the head. It, it's, it's, it's really not rocket science when it comes down to what happened as you look at it. 
that they were committed to pressuring and 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 I don't blame them. I mean, when you're sitting there letting Sam run around, you know, with with lead blockers and them getting a man plus on you a bunch of times, I mean, you better start meeting that cat in the gap. And they did that quite a bit. Um, you know, I thought that their kids played with some uh, with some confidence uh, as the, as the game grew. Um, and, you know, you saw them play a little bit different than they had before. Obviously, that game means a lot to both sides. But I'll tell you this, and if I'm if I'm a Texas fan, I, I mean, if I'm going to give you one thing from my perspective that you can think about as you go from here, if there's one guy out there that I would want coaching my offensive line right now with a situation that we, we weren't as productive as we really built, felt like we could have been, it'd be Herb Hand, and it'd be Tom Herman being at the helm. I mean, y'all got the right people. I mean, listen, don't ever take for granted how good these men are. I'll tell you that. I, I would just say if I'm a Texas fan, I would tell you, stay tuned. There's a lot of ball left to be played. And there, this is a this is a great league. It's going to be a lot of fun. Texas controls their own destiny. They can't let this game beat them twice, man. That old cliche, it really is true. Listen, hey, fans, we can't let it beat us twice. we got to move on too now. There's, there, there's an opponent coming to town this week, and, and they're coming here to win. So we got to focus on the next one, man. It's the most important game we've ever played in our lives is this week. Um, and that's how you have to live it as a coach and as a player, and that's truly how we live it. And I would say this, you know, if we can earn the right, and I say we because we're talking about Texas and one of my buddies there, um, if they can earn the right to get back to play Oklahoma again, one of the hardest things to do is to beat a really good t- team two times in a year. Uh, so obviously there's going to be some – some some uh, uh, incentive there for the for the Longhorns moving forward and and um, you know one of the things that I'll tell you is I've been around a lot of ball and I've never seen a leader like Sam Ellinger never not I don't know if I've ever seen one even close and y'all got the right guys there. Well, I uh, that there's we'll get to to Texas and Kansas meeting on Saturday night because I definitely want to get your your impression on on that and what Texas needs to be aware of. Um, but let me, before we move, and I also want to ask you about your friendship with Tom. Um, but before we do that, why is Lincoln Riley so good, David? I mean, uh, talking to David Beatty, obviously, and every coach I talk to, I mean, whether they're in the NFL or it, at the college level, I was talking to Dan Hawkins the other day. He's at, you know, UC Irvine. And he, he said, yeah, we, we watch Oklahoma. We look at Oklahoma. What, what is it that Lincoln Riley's doing that, that uh, everybody's taking note of? I mean, I'm like you. I listen to a lot of stuff now, obviously. I try to take in as much information as I can, listening to people talk on programs like yours and throughout the country because they're people I respect that I think really know what they're talking about. And uh, there's a lot of things that are on the surface that people talk about a lot about how intelligent he is and things like that. But I think it goes a little deeper. For me, there's three things that stick out for me when I'm when I'm having to coach against him. Number one, the guy is a quarterback whisperer. And like I said a little bit earlier, getting Jalen Hurts there was just part of the deal, right? Um, being able to bring a guy in that does not know Spanish and you're teaching him Spanish, people do not understand how incredibly difficult that is. Um, the kid's got to be committed. So it obviously he Jalen has that. But, I mean, a lot of us that know him know that. We knew that wasn't going to be an issue. But it's still hard. It ain't easy. It, I mean, it's hard. And the thing that, that Lincoln's able to do is he keeps his system so user-friendly for guys that when they get in there, 
there's not bust. They don't they don't bust plays, and that's not normal. And I think it's you know it has a lot to do with how he's built his system, the simplicity of it. But there's tweaks here and there, and uh, those guys can play with confidence. And I think that's the first thing that sticks out to me about that, that about Lincoln that's different about him is that he's got the ability to to do a deep dive on developing quarterbacks more so than just a guy that's been there with him for a while. And and Jalen Hurts has proven it this year. Uh, the other thing is quietly they create some of the best run production of any team that I've ever had to face. I think a lot of that goes to Lincoln, and and I think he'd say the same thing about Bill Beatonbow, who is one of the other best offensive line coaches that I've ever been around. They are going to find a way to get you a man down, and they always do it. They find a way to get that. that they're going to find a way to match the numbers in their favor, and they do a really good job of running the ball to the edge. In this day and age of edgeless defenses where it's very difficult to get on the edge without surfacing people, they are still able to do it. And the way that they do it is very creative, uh, very smart, intelligent guys. Uh, so developing quarterbacks, run game production, quietly, it's deadly. I mean, they run the football so well, but all you hear about is the dynamic quarterback play, right? And I think that's something that that sticks out to me is I, I'm, I'm never going to be fooled coming in there. I know I got to stop the run against him. I, I got to start it there. And then, you know, finally, his ability to get the ball distributed to his best players in games and not let people take take them away, being able to get matchups, CD Lamb, getting him the ball the other day, the number of times he touched the ball. I know it was probably double digit at least, but when it matters, you got to get the ball in those guys' hands, and you got to find a way to get those guys open, even when they're going to make a concerted effort to not let them beat you. And he, he is so creative with the way that he uses those guys um, that I, I don't know that a lot of people have that capacity to do it. I think him and Tom Herman do it as good as anybody I've ever been around. Talking to David Beatty, and and um, and so let's let's get to your uh, friendship with Tom because he's called you one of his best friends in the business. And um, where did that friendship start, David? Well, I mean, I used to have more money than him, so I could pay him. And, and uh, I'd tell him, <laughs> just tell everybody you're one of my best friends. But no, he's, uh, it started back at, at, uh, at Rice when David Bailiff hired us, hired us both. And I, I was a holdover from the Todd Graham staff. And um, those guys came in. And man, I'm not gonna lie to you, that first day, anytime you're the holdover and you're by yourself, it's it, it's kind of dicey and it's scary, right? But the first time that I met Tom and and Blake Miller, who has an insurance business there right there in Austin, and Craig Niver and DJ Elliott, who by the way is coming in this weekend as a defense coordinator, um, you know Craig Niver, Jason Washington. I mean, the first time I met these guys, I mean, literally the smiles on their faces and just the the way that they welcomed me when they didn't have to was, I mean, it, they sold me right there. I mean, they, they sold me right there. Uh, but, you know, Tom in particular, because uh, David David had came in and they'd been running the eye, uh, you know, with Barrett Neely, and they'd been very, very successful. I'll never forget David walking in one day and saying, hey, listen, that was a great offense when we were there. Uh, Beatty, you and Tom get in there, and let's talk about spreading this thing out. And, man, the rest was history, and I learned so much from Tom, you know, going forward. Um, I mean, he he truly does live up to the building of of being a Menza card card holder. <laughs> Coach Bailiff always messes with him about that, but he is brilliant. He is absolutely brilliant, and uh, one of my best friends because of, uh, of the man he is. I mean, he he the best best uh, 
compliment I think I can give another man is that he makes me a better man. And and Tom definitely does that. And uh, a lot of that goes to the fact that he married one of the best women in the world and Michelle Herman too. So uh, they're, they're really, really, really dear friends. Um, and, and then, you know, if, if there's anything else about, um, you know, Tom, his, his staff, um, the team that stands out uh, that you think is uh, important to point out to, our listeners, the Texas, you know, fan base, um, man, they'd love your insight on that. Well, you know, um, I, because of being on the inside, I know what what a good football team this is. Uh, they, you've got a good team now. Uh, you've got you got two games that are separated by probably what 10, 14 points, something, one possession. I know that at any yep. rate. And, and had a chance for onside kicks in both of them that had more than a chance, right? Uh, that is very difficult to even get a chance at the onside, to be honest with you, and have had a chance in both of those situations. Uh, they've been there. Um, they, this is a really good football team. Sometimes, sometimes these types of setbacks can be extremely beneficial to you as you move forward. Uh, it, it just, sometimes you can learn a lot more from these these things. Uh, and, and instead of learning them later in the season, you learn them now. And I, I just believe that there's going to be some things happen that people don't think about. And as long as this team stays on track and they keep following, you know, the likes of Sam Ellinger, I mean, the sky's the limit. I mean, I'll tell you this defensively, uh, Todd Orlando, Jason Washington, Craig, Craig Niver, Oscar Giles, I'll take those dudes all day and twice on Sunday. I promise you on my staff that those guys are as good as there are in the business they're playing with some young guys. And for these guys, this team to be playing with so many injuries, listen, they never make an excuse. It's next man up, and they do not let the level fall off. And, uh, you know, I, I just – if I'm a fan, I'm going to be encouraged by the fact that we've got an opportunity to go back and and play those guys again. We've got an opportunity to do that. But it's going to be one game at a time, and it's going to start this weekend with Kansas coming to town. Well, and let's get to Kansas because – you're right. I mean, they, you know, this personnel as well as anybody and, and they went up to Boston college and, and won by double digits in a game that they were uh, an underdog by double digits. And you had them playing super physical and tough and Texas got all they wanted last year in Lawrence in a 24, 17 game that had Texas fans going, "Uh Oh, are we about to, to experience what, what David Beatty, uh, did, you know, a couple of years earlier, uh, in Lawrence. And so, you know, what, what, uh, what should Texas be wary of about this Kansas team? Well, I, I mean, you know, honestly, uh, not being there, it, it would be very difficult for me to get very, very uh, deep into it. And I certainly wouldn't want to do that. Um, I, I would just say this, that that team is not going to be afraid to come come in to Darrell State. They're not going to be afraid to be there. Um, they're going to be jazzed, and there's a ton of those kids that are from the state of Texas. And we can only take so many at each one of our universities, right? You can only take 25 a year. That's it. So there's not enough spots for everybody. There's a lot of terrific players out there. So at a lot of places that come here, there's kids from Texas that felt like, you know, maybe they got all overlooked by the, by the home – the home school, the home state school. So that drives a lot of those kids. There's no doubt about that. But 
I think the thing that sticks out to me just the most is the quarterback is the dangerous player now. I mean, he moves around well. He throws the ball really, really well. Um, he's productive, and they've got a really deep. They've got a pretty good little wide receiving crew now. And Puka Williams is a. I mean, he's an emerging star in the conference. One of the best backs I've ever been around. And uh, you know, they know how to get those guys the ball. Uh, I think it's going to come down to who takes care of the ball, and and uh, you know, really, I, I think who gets off to a good start is going to be big in this game Saturday for sure. Well, David, I know there's a there's probably a lot of uh, questions other you know people would love to to know about and ask about. I know there's some stuff you just can't talk about, so we will leave it there. Um, but really, really appreciate your time today. I know a lot of Texas fans would love to see you on Tom Herman's staff in the in the near future. So um, really appreciate the time, and and it's always great to talk to you. It was. You know, you've always been, um, you know, just we're, we're fans of college football and you made it easy to to talk to you about uh, anything and everything and, and always appreciate that. Man, Chip, it's been an honor. You know, I will say this, you know, uh, man, the Longhorns uh, that are out there, I mean, they, they are great examples of what great people are, are, are supposed to be like. I mean, my attorney, Mike Lyons, is a is a diehard Longhorn. I mean, he has Bebo at his house the night before the Texas OU game. And when I tell you this guy and his family are literally just made of gold, him and Jenny, uh, I mean, it just speaks volumes for what it's like to be a Longhorn. So I'll say this to the whole fan base. Listen, you should be proud of yourself because y'all are what's right with college football and what's right with humanity. And it's just been an honor to be around y'all's town, around your program so much this year. And I wish you the best of luck. David Beatty, really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll be in touch again soon. You bet. And Taylor, I, I feel the same way about the Aggies, so make sure your husband knows that. Oh, I definitely <laughs> will. I'll, I'll pass that along. Sorry, Texas fans. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Thank you all for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Coach. Thanks, Coach. You bet. Take care, guys. Great stuff from all of the guests on Episode 2 here of the Flagship Podcast. Okay, Taylor, it's time to look forward. We're looking forward. <laughs> So give me a thought as you as you look toward the Texas-Kansas game Saturday night, 6 o'clock on Longhorn Network. I'm sure the Kansas fans are so excited they're back on Longhorn Network. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, I think, I think one thing that was interesting that Tom Herman said during his Monday press conference was about how the staff is going to be probably looking to simplify some of the calls on defense and I think that's something that is going to be really necessary at this point for Texas. You know, there's there's already a lot of inexperience that's been playing, um, you know, especially in the secondary, but with all of the injuries and then with, you know, Malcolm Roach being out for the first half of the game, I think that, you know, simplifying the calls on defense is only going to benefit Texas. I think especially with the young defensive backs. I mean, you know, if you think about, defensive backs, if they need to play loose, especially against these type of, you know, big 12 offenses, because if they're on the field and they think they're going to get beat. And so I think that, um, you know, simplifying it for them is only going to help the inexperience. I think that's something I'm going to be definitely looking for, see if it's, you know, noticeable from just a visual standpoint um, against Kansas. Uh, but what are, what are your thoughts, you know, looking ahead? Sorry for we bash Texas fans a little bit, beating it down, uh, recapping the OU game, which I know they all want to 
forget about right now. So looking ahead, Chip, what are, what are you looking for? Okay, and I have one more thought on the, the way that everybody melts down after a loss in the Red River shootout, and I, and I totally get it. I mean, it's, I told you, I get sad after this game right. because it, it, it means so much to me from an atmosphere standpoint, the rivalry, and it also usually signifies we're halfway through the, the college football season. But Tom Herman's team came in unprepared. They got totally outcoached. They were outphysicaled, all of that. And they still only lost by seven. Mm-hmm. When Mac Brown's teams came in less prepared than Oklahoma, got out physical, they lost by 50. Yeah. I mean, you go back to 2003, two years before Texas won the national championship, they lost 65 to 13. Right. That was horrible. Mm-hmm. And people were ready to throw Mac Brown out in the street and. By the way, I think it's Sally's birthday today, so happy birthday to Sally. Oh, happy birthday, Sally, yeah. Um, but look, I get it. It was ugly to watch. It wasn't pleasant, but they lost by seven, and they were kicking an onside kick to try to get the ball back and maybe go tie or win the game. So it's it wasn't 55 to 17. It wasn't 63 to 14. It wasn't 65 to 13. Right, exactly. There's, there's some positive <laughs> that can come from that, I think. Yeah. I asked Tom Herman that, and he said – I said, what does that tell you? And he said, it tells me we're close. Right. I know Texas fans don't want to hear that. But I think as we look forward, you asked me for a big thing. I think that's what you take away. I think you you say, okay, it was ugly. It was all this. It was all that. It was the offensive line. Sam was bad. The running backs couldn't get going. They lost by seven. Yeah. And in the past, they would lose by 50 in that game. So they – and now I want to see it, right? I mean, I want to see Sam Ellinger be the leader that we know he is, sort of re recalibrate this, refocus this offense, and then a defense that's just fighting until guys can come back from injury. I mean, we talked about it ad nauseum with Bobby, um, the fact that Juwan Mitchell's going to be playing with a dislocated elbow, that, that uh, you know, B.J. Foster's, He's not right. I mean, the stinger is it came back in the OU game. He kept playing, and that's why he wasn't as physical as he normally is. So, right. I mean, this from a fan standpoint, keep cheering this team because they're a year away. And I said maybe, maybe they get there early. Maybe they get there a year early. And I didn't think they were a playoff team. I said they would not be in the playoff, but I did say that they'd be in the Big Twelve championship game. Mm-hmm. I said they'd be there against Baylor. I'm not sure about that now that Baylor's, you know, top linebacker and and leading tackler is, is gone for the season. But I still think Texas can get to the Big 12 championship. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Road games at TCU, at Iowa State, at Baylor. But this is where you get better each week. Just that's a sign of a well-coached team. So let's see it. Yeah. And, you know, Saturday, 6 o'clock. Yeah, for sure. I will say one thing just to touch on what you said about when Mac Brown's teams lost to Oklahoma, they were getting, you know, losing by 50 points. The one of the games that they lost by, I think it was what 42, 2012, wasn't it? 63, 21 that year. Yeah. Yeah. So I was on the field for that game. Okay. And I'm not even lying. I (laughs) thought I was going 
absolutely insane for about five days afterwards because I still I had the Oklahoma fight song literally just constantly playing inside my head and it was just like and over and over and over and I seriously like was telling my friends at the time like I'm going crazy like I literally can't get this ringing out of my head and it's a youth fight song because they played it so many times in that game (laughs) so yeah I mean the seven point loss it's a loss you know I I get it it's a loss it's not good but it's not 42 points so let's uh i'm right there with you on that (laughs) yeah and texas fans the hope is that texas gets another shot at ou and they'll have the revenge factor on their side this year unlike last year maybe texas can get to dallas and have that edge and it's the outcome that everybody wants so uh thanks for thanks for listening to episode two of the flagship podcast we will talk to you next week